Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. I'm gonna start with this. People are in general are like very demanding. Right? And consumers within these three uh, companies, we have a creative director, we have marketing and an an agency, telecommunication, Snapchat alone is international, and so it's heavy. (laughs) To try to please consumers is heavy. So just as a start, what is a simple strategy that any company could go for, like the ABC of just trying to bring customers an experience that they would maybe turn them into not loyalists to your brand, but more or less uh, a friend, you know, maybe a, a, an organic ambassador. Vishal, would you like to start? I mean, like, yeah. as the, <laughs> as yeah, the big all right. star. <laughs> um, look, I, I think the, the concept of uh, brand loyalty or, or even brand love is harder now than it's ever been, right? I think consumers, not only their media habits, and, and people were obviously talking about that on the stage just before us, um, but their device habits, their savviness has never been higher, right? Um, so I, I think the most obvious and simple strategy for any brand or marketer is to start with the audience, right? Like, where are they? Where are they spending their time? Uh, where can you most efficiently and effectively grab their attention? Um, I think one of the biggest issues digital media generally has had over the last few years is that brands and you know um, media professionals generally have been quite slow to adapt to the change in media consumption and consumer savviness um, and and they 're using metrics which you know any kind of media format can be twisted to to hit right whether it be impressions or whether it be you know uh, Viewability. These are very kind of dated ways to measure effectiveness and impact. So I think the first thing is to start really thinking about your audience, think about what's important to you, what you need to measure as a brand, and focus your budget there rather than trying to do everything to, to, to everyone. So generally, if you take a look at companies who have done well in customer service, you take a look at, for example, Amazon. Amazon is one of the most customer-centric companies around the world, but what they do has not been innovative in a very, very big way when it comes to servicing customers. They do what's right, they know their audience, of course, but they really resort to things that have been around traditionally for many, many years. You want to have local presence in particular markets, and you want to do the best type of thing that's going to delight customers. This is going to be a buzzword that I think you're going to hear a lot of over this session, but delighting customers has, is not rocket science. Really, you have to think about the consumer, what they want, what's going to give them the, the, this added interest. But the cost of not doing what the customer wants is extremely high. So when you think about it, if you have 26, out of 26 customers that are complaining about your service, only one, the voice of one customer out of that 26 actually reaches your business. So one customer actually complains, 26 churn over time, and then you know the rest are probably, you hope, to be happy customers. But the, the analytics that you have today and the access with uh, everything that's happening, whether it's on the telephony side, whether it's on the chat side, the access to analyzing that data 
is no longer what it was uh, you know, a long time ago. You used to have somebody call up your business, complain about something, mention your competitor, for example, what have you, and then hang up the line, and then that goes into the Ethereum of, of the telephone line that happened. Now, you can analyze calls in different languages and understand exactly what are the most common words, what's the sentiment of every single call that's happening, for example, what's the sentiment that's happening over chat, and what have you. A lot of businesses, I think, are shying away from this operational cost, and they're trying to automate things through bots and what have you. But what you find out is that about, I think, uh, automatically servicing customers through bots has dropped by 30 to 40% over the past year. Most customers, I'm not sure if we can do a show of hands here, I mean, has anyone used the bot and really got to what they wanted, or do they actually prefer to get to a human being? Most people prefer to get to a human being. And when you take a look at Amazon, just going back full circle, they're investing more. They currently have 230,000 people actually taking actual calls and doing human chat. They will not strategically in implement uh, Alexa, for example, to do that for you. Uh, and this is Amazon uh, talking. So, uh, I mean, that's an indication of how things should be, I think, for, for a long while. Amazing. Uh, more from your perspective of uh, owning a company that is seriously about pleasing customers because you're working with clients all of the time, you're trying to be creative, you're trying to please them, they have feedback as well, so what is, what is the, like, your personal ABC for this? So from my side, what you guys have said is on point, but from my side, the, f the one thing that matters is for me is EQ, it's emotional intelligence. It's all, about, it's all about emotions at the end of the day. So because people are not buying products or services. If you walk around, there's a lot of startups today that are selling almost the same thing, but under different packages. You have an Amazon and a Noon. So, but you're not actually buying a service, you're buying an emotion, you're buying confidence, you're buying happiness, you're buying trust. So I could be wowed by Noon's packaging and the branding and it's lovely and yellow and even when you throw it out, it looks nice, right? But if they break my trust, then I'm gonna to switch to an Amazon. Yeah. So as long as you keep people feeling an emotion, you have them. If you buy a pair of jeans and they make you feel confident, you're gonna rebuy the same pair of jeans for 10 years. When you stop feeling confident, you're gonna switch somewhere else. So you're not actually buying a service or product because people, there's so many similar products out there. You're buying an actual emotion. So if you don't know how to communicate that emotion, you can't keep your consumers. Simple. Okay, so I, uh, I believe I read that Ming really believes like to act small. Like you like to, to, to do things in a small way until you, you get to the big product, right? Yeah. So how do you, how do, you do that? So we're talking a lot about emotions, and emotions can vary. It could be good, it could be bad, it could change within like a single design. So how do you, how do you exactly So acting small is all about personalization, actually. So uh, it really doesn't matter whether we're dealing with a, with a multinational or a huge brand or, or an Amazon or, or a Snapchat or a startup. It's about giving your full time, it's about giving your full understanding, it's about giving you for energy, it's about the creative speaking to the client and not having a middle ground where you have account managers, which kind of, it's about having a complete creative product so that we really understand what the client wants from an emotional point of view, and so that we can deliver it through the communication for him. So it's, it's keeping that actual uh, line of, of data and, and EQ together, because this is the future. So yes, it's all about bots and data, and we wouldn't be able to understand consumers like we did before, because now we have data. And it would be super silly not to use the data. But how you communicate with data 
what you said is absolutely right. I mean, when I call my bank, I'm not going to name it, and I get the bot, I close. I mean, yeah. I don't want to talk to a bot. Um, even though for them it makes business sense to have one, you know? But it would be cheaper as well. I mean, absolutely. to have yeah, just one single system that would run thousands of calls a day. But at the end of the day, if the system isn't, doesn't pick up my accent, it doesn't pick up what I really want, it's maybe I have a question that isn't within the, the AI's capabilities. So I don't when you know call your bank, you, you call them for a reason. You're either angry or... You or because <laughs> you can't find the answer online and you just need yeah. someone to just talk exactly. to. I definitely agree. Uh, Fuad, how do you, as a, as, a, as a company, how do you maintain a a relevant strategy that would involve the client in a, let's say, in a comfortable way? Like, what is, what would Moxum be known for if it, if it were to be a, a customer experience? What is, like... We want to be, yeah, so to your point, I mean, uh, we, what we want to be is the most insightful cloud communication platform built from the region for the region. When you take a look at what's out there, and we had this problem ourselves in a previous company. We were previously in e-commerce um, with a company called Cashbasha, and we ended up building Muxam ourselves inside because the alternatives were all legacy uh, enterprise-level systems that had cost us $200,000 to set up, and in a very fragmented market, like the Arab world, you have to do the same setups in every single market that you want to go to. Because although, for example, e-commerce is more global today and you can sell anywhere in the world, when customer service needs to happen, the customer wants you to be as close as possible. They want to call a local number, they want a local person with a local accent to be able to handle that call and, and be able to understand their cultural needs and what have you. And none of the products globally have been built in this category from the region to the region. And we want to be one of those, uh, but beyond just doing a cloud contact center solution, we want to be the most insightful cloud content accepted solution for the region, which really takes the 94% of Arabic business to customer calls and analyzes them correctly for the first time. And we have a large enough data set to be able to do that. Vishal, uh, hi. So, Snap, right? Yeah. Uh, with the millions of and tens of millions of, uh, of customers, how can you pinpoint their needs and how can you try to satisfy them? Um, I think I think the references to Amazon are really interesting. Um, Amazon delights customers through product design, right? Like they have designed a product and they have made a single claim or two over and over and over again, right? So everyone knows what you get from Amazon and then they spend a ton of money on ensuring that they fulfill the promise. So is it about expectation? Yeah, I, and I think it's about um, having the bravery to commit to what may not be the popular choice, right? Um, there have been changes made on our app uh, over time, over the last you know, five or six years, which have massively affected how users feel in the moment, but they've been done with the right intent, and over time, you know, having that huge, um, you know, that, that emphasis on privacy or that emphasis on splitting user-generated content with, with generated brand content, um, having a system whereby not everyone can just post, uh, has created an environment which is now um, proving to be very, um, very appetizing for most brands across the region uh, and globally. So yeah, I, I think if you look at nearly every single one of the, the kind of ad products that we sell to brands on the platform, they were all consumer products first. They were tested for years 
before they became something a brand could buy. And we used the data from the app and how users interacted with snaps, how they interacted with stories, how they interacted with lenses, to determine how the branded product should come about. So that there is never a branded product on Snap that hasn't already worked as a consumer product first. Okay. Um, how can you try to more or less please customers without really changing the, I mean, for Snapchat, since it's an international company, how can you like please all of these customers without changing the experience or the image of the company? Without trying to go out of your way to please customers? Um, I don't think, like, I, th I think it goes hand in hand, right? Like, I think, I think you need to make sure that you're, like, we're a founder-led business. Like, um, so, uh, you know, Evan Spiegel is the owner uh, of Snap. He owns 51% of the shares. Uh, he has a vision in terms of what he thinks the platform should stand for. Um, and he holds the community as the most important part, not monetization. So like by putting them first at all times and then seeing how they behave on the app, using that data to inform what we should do moving forward is pretty much the way Snap works. Fuad, what would you say? How would you, how would you try to maintain Moxam as Moxam, as its own, like with its own vision, while at the same time trying to maybe minimize the complaints and trying to give customers what they want or what they need. So we're a B2B business, obviously. It's not as sexy, maybe, as a snap. Uh, but uh, but uh, put to your point, I mean, I think what we have to do is provide a proper tool set for our customers to be able to provide what their customers want, their end consumers want. And um, being able to understand all the different industries, specifically in the Arab world, uh, which could be international as well, um, is, is, is kind of the challenge there. So trying to go focus to what the F&B industry wants and, and their communications with their customers. What type of tooling do, do they have? What about fintech companies and, and, and what have you? Offline businesses versus online businesses. Um, so it's all really about understanding the, uh, the business and by trying to build vertical modules to be able to cater that, to that particular industry. I think that's, that's our strategy and how we're working uh, towards it. Mo, I'm looking at you. Shoot. <laughs> what do you think? How is, uh, how is Mink maintaining its own image, maintaining its own vision, with at the same time trying to please customers? Um, <clears throat> I think, I mean, our industry entirely is about word of mouth. It's about doing a good job that leads to another job and a third job. So, so it's basically a very simple answer to that would be we try to do our best with every job at hand we have so that not just our client is pleased, but the people that actually see the project are pleased so that we can get a ripple effect of other people that want to be pleased in the same way. So it's just about doing good work and being really strict about making sure that the work is creative, different, stands out um, better than anything else that you can find. We try, at least. How, do you, how, how would you measure your success within this field? How would you measure your success within uh, actually offering the experience that you want to offer all along? What are, the, what are your KPIs, maybe? So, um, you mean how we do it internally, or how we work? I'm not necessarily the process, but if you'd like to share that, I think it would be very helpful for the audience. But like, how would you how would you measure the the success? 
it's very hard to, to measure your own success in that way. It's just, it's just yeah, about... It, it's inter- like, I, I think the way that you would probably look at the work you've delivered and how the impact of that work is, and the same, I guess, for you, right? Like, yeah. you'd look at... It, it's less about the internal success. It's yeah. more about the impact it has on the clients right. you work with and the audiences Absolutely. that they have. But right? there, is, there is a big amount of internal success, which is basically the culture we've built. So we've become a plate. We, we were a startup about four years ago, and then we grew, and now we have two offices in two different countries. Um, our clients range from all industries now, from fintech to banking to fashion to F&B. So... And it's about the internal culture. Internal culture is important because you attract creatives to join your team and to want to be part of that culture. And so when I get creatives um, from, from Leo Burnett's and from the BBDOs of the world applying to join Mink, which was a startup like four or five years ago, that's how I measure success. You know, When you have people from multinational agencies aspiring to join you because you're doing something differently. So... This is my personal internal success, if you want. Okay, uh, so, and if you are to go to Snap, how would Snap measure the, the success of, of like, indulging users into the, the experience that is Snap? Yeah, I mean, look, I, th- I, think, I think, you know, we're a, we're a publicly traded company. Uh, we release our numbers every quarter. Uh, so there are a bunch of stats and data points that we're held accountable to, which are relevant across all uh, social platforms. Um, You know, daily active users, uh, time being spent um, on the app, um, you know, average revenue per advertiser. These are the kind of, like, industry-level stats that that we would report on. Um, But but I think what what Mo says is really interesting. Like, um, I, I have come from an agency background similar to the likes that you were just referring to uh, a minute ago. Um, And I think culture and and, and the way um, you work as a team, you know, like, and you can measure it in hard numbers like retention or attrition or, Mm. you know, um, uh, you know, net promoter score. You can use those kind of hard metrics. Uh, but I do think there's a much more, there's a lot more value in the qualitative elements around, you know, how do people feel about work? Like when they're filling in, you know, we have a survey every month uh, where, you know, there are there are questions. How do people feel about their work-life balance? How do people feel about, you know, their progress? How do we, like, these are the kind of things I think that really are the ways you measure success um, and, and the way you can really look at whether you've built a business which is sustainable and going to grow or whether you've built a business that's just going to work for the, for the short term. I see that you're agreeing a lot. No, absolutely. <laughs> How, yeah. uh, what, what's what's Moxam's uh, process here? Um, so when we're referring to the internal culture, that's ex- extremely important for us. So we have uh, cultural principles that we all abide by uh, internally in the company. Uh, but also we take into consideration what our customers really need as well. I mean, our service and what we're delivering is kind of like oxygen, right? So when I ask you, what do you think about oxygen? You're like, uh, you know, it's, it's all right. But if you cut off oxygen for any one of your customers, then it's red alert. And uh, I think that's important for us in terms of managing the expectations that our customers really depend on us to be up and running 99.9999% of the time. Uh, and so uh, for us, we, we know we have a lot of responsibility and that goes into our culture. And so when we think internally or externally, you know, if we're making a particular decision, even if there's a 
you know, a, a risk that we're taking. How is it going to impact our customers? And the slightest, uh, you know, uh, point of, 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 uh, of, of, of uh, you know, change there or, or anything that might be risky to our business, we, we end up, you know, uh, thinking about it more than once. Does that mean that you would avoid change? No, 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 I mean, something that would actually affect our clients in a very big way. Uh, but uh, sometimes you, want, you have this radical idea about how to serve customers better, for example, that you want to launch, but how could it really affect the market and their own customers that way? That's something that you have to consider. Um, how does, okay, so since you're a B2B business, how does Moxum make sure to personalize and tailor its customer experience? Um, as I said earlier, I mean, the vertical modules that we're building, so obviously communication used to be just a desk phone or a you know, telephony system that you'd have in your office. Now, because we've built it from the cloud you know, to the cloud, it can integrate into different modules, whether it's your CRM, your help desk solution, many of these things that you're using on a daily basis, which would be very expensive and very difficult to do previously. So uh, with other vertical integrations that we have for different industries, it becomes, you know, by module, point and click, plug and play, you can have something that is communications that are smarter for a restaurant, meaning how do your orders enter into your, your system, your telephony system from the phone? Can the phone pick it up and actually automate a lot of that work for you? Not really just replacing the human being, because that's obviously, we've established a terrible experience, but actually making the agent or the human being a super agent and being able to do more uh, that way. Make sense? Vishal, where, how do you see uh, I mean, now with Web3, with the metaverse, with all of this, like, love that people are having and, like, throwing at digital, how is a customer experience considered successful within the next decade? Um, I, th I think more and more, and, and this, this is kind of going back to something I think you said right at the beginning, you know, expectations are kind of higher than ever um, from consumers so for, for me I, I think the metaverse presents you know for, for want of a better phrase the metaverse is not defined today <laughs> like no one really knows where it starts and where it ends um, it's it's a phrase that's you know being thrown around um, if, if you think about how long it took for you know the mobile to become the norm like the metaverse is just starting now. So yeah, I get that there's a lot of hype around it. I get that there's a huge opportunity. Um, but quite frankly, I think, you know, for, for us, one of our biggest bets over the last kind of eight years has been around augmented reality. Um, and like if brands have not even started playing around with, with new types of technology, kind of jumping into this kind of, yeah, well, you know, we're gonna have a store on Roblox. I mean, like how many people are on Sandbox or Decentraland today? Does anyone know how many people are on there? 150,000 people. That's not a lot. We have 20 million people in Saudi using our app every single day. There is, I mean, there is a 150,000 people is, on Sandbox. But Snapchat is older than Sandbox. Right, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that I'm not saying that it's not an opportunity. I'm just saying that we have to understand where it is in terms of its development, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I actually think that the opportunity is huge, right? But 
but I, I feel like there's a the rush isn't being driven by how to build the future of marketing or the future of gaming or the future of pastimes. The rush is being built by people trying to make a quick buck, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and unfortunately, like that kind of speculation is just like the dot com bubble, right? People were selling like websites they bought for a thousand bucks as businesses when the dot com bubble started. And this is one of the big things. I, I mean, look. I, I'm sure you guys all read loads as well. Rug pulls is like the trending thing on Twitter right now. Where kids, like, and who can blame them, have gone on and sold stuff that they don't own, right? And that's not a surprise, right? It's an unregulated space right now. I think it's a huge opportunity. Um, I think, you know, for us, augmented reality and making the world we live in is where we should be thinking about when we talk about the metaverse, we talk about overlaying information and you know, making the world we live in, the world that our friends live in, the world that our family live in, make those connections deeper, make that more meaningful. For us, that's what the metaverse means. It doesn't mean an alternate reality that you submerse yourself in in some dark, dystopian, ready player one type future. Um, you know, where, where you try and escape the real world. For, for, for us, that's just not how we think. <laughs> so that, that, that's my, my, my I opinion. have, to, <laughs> I have to say, you have butchered the metaverse for many people. Uh, I, I'm, not, I, I've not, I'm not butchering the metaverse. There's too much fluff. I think we have to work hard as, as brands, as people, to define Web 3.0 the way we want it to be, not the way Web 2.0 has become. I mean, each company can can go about its own business the way it wants, the way it feels. Augmented reality, at the end of the day, is part of the metaverse of that course. so many companies are talking about. And so, more or less, you are involved, but I'm guessing you still haven't defined... No, I mean, we're absolutely involved. I'd argue that we've been doing it for years, right? Uh, we just haven't called... Like, even with the spectacle, even yeah, with yeah, for other products. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, I, like, you know, when we create a, an augmented reality mall or shop or store for someone on Stab, that's technically the metaverse, right? We've not called it that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it but it's an augmented reality experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we have we have quite a specific point of view on it, um, and we we genuinely believe that the future of the metaverse is making the world we live in better. That that's kind of our our vision. For I it. think that's fair enough. That's fair <laughs> enough. Mo, same question. How do you think within the next? maybe five to ten years, uh, considering that your type of business um, shifts, but like the core of it remains the same, which is like the creative ideas. How do you think within the next decade, you personally and, and Mink could uh, even expand the customer experience that you would, you would wish to give people with, considering everything, all of the technology that we have? around, like considering the, the, the robot that's been walking around, you know, like which is a mobile Yeah, a I mobile just app. saw the robot, that's quite... Like it's, it's about testing, you know, and it, I'll go back to the same point. It's about data and, and emotional intelligence mixed together. Uh, and that's the only way you can assess things. In the past, and this refers, this, re, this refers to everything, so communication was a pyramid, right? The brand was on top, people were in the bottom. And I'm an iPhone, I cost 10, Everyone was like, I want one, I want one, and you throw it down and they buy it. And today the pyramid is flipped, right? So the brand is down and the people are up. 
So you, like, you shyly throw the iPhone, I have an iPhone, you know? And the people, they, I'm not gonna curse, but they completely, you know, they go, oh, the screen sucks, oh, the Samsung is better, oh, yeah, yeah, the social media channels. So everyone, before it even reaches to the person, they've made them rethink it 10 times because the brand is down. So it's the same with the metaverse. Metaverse, they're just, they just threw it up. So the people will decide whether it's going to live or not. Sandbox, whether it's going to become 10 million people. If it becomes 10 million people, then okay, shit, it's, it's real. And then that becomes something. So it's, it's all about the pyramid. You, brands are on the bottom now because people are in control because of social media and because everyone has so much access to data. So it's all about when you throw an idea up or, or a service or a product, it's how well you understand the people on top and, and how they will catch that idea and keep it and, you know, or crash it. It's, it's data and EQ. For Ad, what do you think? Um, for me, I've been personally in the data mining space for a very long time. And so I know that there's so much tooling now that you can implement in your business and the use of data that you can actually predict when something's going to go wrong with a particular customer, if they're going to churn, if they're not going to churn, if they're going to like something new and, and whatnot, more than any time in the, in the past. And what you're going to see more from potentially companies like, uh, like us or, or maybe within uh, social media or agencies or what have you, is that you're going to start using this tooling to predict what the customer wants before they want yeah. it and then act on that uh, uh, you know, ahead of time. So being proactive uh, more than being we do, reactive. We do that now. I mean, yeah. we, we, when we, before we used to pitch for an idea, we used to just come up with an idea and buy a hunch. But now, no, we look at data. So we look at similar products, how many people are reacting to them, what do they like. We look at, talk about something and you know, you'll see it pop up. So we'll understand where we're going with that. And then we start creating based on the data we have. So it's not just about being creative or smart or witty or, or emotional. Yeah. It's based on the data that you find. So we're in a much more futuristic place where we used to be. We have much more tools to work with, but the base is still the same. Well, and, that, and that's driven by consumers, right? Like his, yeah. Historically, consumers only knew what brands wanted to tell them. Exactly. It's just not the case that's, anymore, that's is the it? Like, consu the power's like you say, totally the power has consumer. Shifted, and what a brand stands for today, what it, it used to be what they say on their billboard, right? Yeah. Well, today it's... It was one directional. Now it's like what people say, yeah. right? Like what, what your brand stands for what people say it stands for. Yeah. It's no longer really on yeah. you to determine, like to sit at the top of the pyramid, like you say, and, yeah. and go, this is what my brand is. And, yeah. and, no. and everyone just listens because <laughs> they've only got one channel through which they can experience or see your brand. Yeah. Now, like every, every brand, like... You know, we'll have detractors. We'll have people researching where their products are built. Yeah. Who's building them? What's you know? Is it is it built in a in a safe and, and sustainable way? All of these things are now way more visible and way more interesting for consumers than they've ever been. So yeah, I, I, th I think your point about you know thinking about the emotion that you want people to feel when they see your brand or touch your brand or buy your brand, I think is a really interesting place to start. I personally feel like as if now users or customers and companies are like interchanging emotions and experiences and it feels like both of them are trying to yeah, learn from each way. other. Yeah. Exactly, and um, which is nice. Some, some hope for the future. Thank you guys so much. Vishal, Fuad, Mo. And uh, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow and hopefully you had a good day. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 
You can find our content on Enrami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.